Welcome, friends and listeners, to the Regeneration Podcast, also the Regeneration YouTube. Uh, maybe every fourth episode, Michael, you'll you'll hear me try to direct some people who might think we're only on YouTube to the ability to listen to us uh, on audio. And um, if people have only heard of us on audio, I think it's like a mutually exclusive subset. Um, they all have their own demographics. And if you look at the numbers, the people who on the podcast version are drawn to certain episodes that are huge there, but not on YouTube, much lower. Uh, there's things I could say about that, but I'm not so sure I understand them yet. But Michael, uh, you know something I hate uh, is is the use of wind chill and the feels like temperature. Yeah. So last night, you know, are you feeling this heat in the Midwest? Okay. Yeah. So it's not here. We're like 60s, super temperate, no humidity. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Well, it was this morning when I got up to go to school, it was 62 and, you know, not very humid. But I, when I came home, now it's almost 90 and very wow. humid. Yeah, I think we're 68 or something. But the uh, last night on the Thank you, news, DARPA. That's right. <laughs> last night on the evening news, it's the second time I've seen it. And it wasn't my local one. It was the national news. And I think it was ABC. I don't normally watch the news, but they were talking about this major heat wave in the Midwest is for real, but they flash temperatures. And at the last minute, they mentioned that it's the feels like temperature, right? Which is some cockamamie equation that, yeah. you know, involves humidity. And again, the wind chill is the same thing. If you want to use those weird things, because again, like people have heard me, uh, 33 degrees with 50 mile per hour winds, which would have a wind chill of like 27, it still doesn't freeze water. So if you want to give me the, the wind chill and the actual temperature and the actual temperature and the feels like fine, but it was the lead news story and they broadcast this map and there was these really high temperatures, but it was the feels like temperature. Michael yeah. Martin, do you have any like problem with that? Like I do, or are you pretty cool? With yes, that? because Good. it's propaganda to spread fear. Okay. okay. That's all it is. Well, mic drop. I've been talking about this to students all day. Yeah. I'm ramped up and I had to three cups of coffee so i'm ready to roll here all right so what uh what the world is doing is downloading <laughs> fear into young people uh our yeah our guest today might have something to say about that our guest today uh wilhelm and sally hoyer hoyer right that's right okay good and uh they've listened to the podcast they were traveling through my area of upstate new york a few weeks ago they were at a catholic worker house in south of me the address, the town is seen in the Diocese of Rochester, but where you were staying is technically in the Diocese of Buffalo. So I was wondering how there was a Catholic worker house that I'd never heard of. And then they um, they drove up around oh, 30, 35 minutes north, and they spent an afternoon with me and my son, Aiden, who's been on the podcast, and our dog. And Amy was, was Amy in and out, or did she not even meet you guys? We met her. Okay. Briefly. And then she had to go do something with flowers for my daughter's wedding or something, right? Yes, yes. Okay. Well, Wilhelm and Sally, welcome to the Regeneration Podcast. I wonder if you could, um, you know, I think the goal of today is I'm describing you, there's that country song, Two Sparrows in a Hurricane, Trying to Find Their Way. Um, I describe you too when we talked. You're both very interesting. Your journey is an interesting one. You know, the same weekend you're living at a, a Catholic worker house uh, where people, you can tell the story there. But like some of the owners were, you know, just running down anything associated with conservative Catholicism. But then Wilhelm and Sally, they go up to the Latin Mass in Rochester. <laughs> and I learned a lot about the Latin Mass. Sally, I remember when you told me that the coffee conversation is often like um, 
things like, are you in tradition? Did you know that phrase, Michael? No. That means like, oh, do you go to Latin mass? Are you in tradition? Is that right, Sally? Yeah, like when it's did great. you tradition or how long have you been in tradition? I just, I just, I like those things. I don't mean to, I don't mean to criticize them at all. But yeah. so welcome, Wilhelm and Sally. Um, one of you, you know, tell us a little bit of your story as you see it. You know, in one sense, kind of briefly, how you met this whole idea of what, you know, you're very driven by your faith. And tell us where you are now, and then we'll interject with questions and things. But um, start going. Sure. Uh, Sally and I, we met in Rome and um, in 2015. We met on the streets uh, where I was living. I was living between St. Peter's Church and the Piazza Navona in that neighborhood right there. I was working for the Vatican. Uh, so for seven years, I was working for the Vatican News Service on the news desk there. So what's their uh, logo? It, like an article you would have written at that time comes out at like the Catholic News Agency in the yeah. U.S.? Okay. In the U.S. And the, yeah, so they have most of the languages of the world. And I was working in the Scandinavian section, but also doing a few things for the English section. You've also uh, written for the Epoch Times and uh, people yeah, can Epoch Google Times your name. And some, yeah, in some Catholic uh, Scandinavian newspapers and uh, done a few writing things, Very cool. uh, some poetry, some plays, things like that as well. Um, but we met in December 2015, and uh, Sally had been in Rome for three days. So I met her on the third day of her descent into Rome. And uh, her first question to me was, are you happy? And I said, well, uh, you know, I have enough. I know what, and I know enough about, you know, sorrow and joy to know the difference. So uh, I'm not happy yet, but I know it's out there. And then we just started talking about everything. Uh, our spiritual journeys and how they began uh, in a very similar path. Um, also very different, but uh, we talked about everything between uh, uh, the earth and the moon and uh, we're still talking, you know, and eventually we got married in, uh, in 2016 in Maine. And we've been trying to, yeah, thank you. And then we've been trying to forge together a, uh, a Christian life. Uh, you know, we got married and then, our honeymoon, we have no money. Where do you go if you have no money on honeymoon? Well, we went on pilgrimage through Spain. Uh, so we went to Santiago. And awesome. uh, we actually had a Bible in a year with us. And we felt very close to the Jewish people. We're always complaining why they left Egypt. Because our first house our first house was a tent. And we, uh, <laughs> it was very uncomfortable sometimes. So, uh, But yeah, we've just been forging ahead as trying to um, create our Christian Catholic life together and trying, trying to speak with one voice together and uh, trying to understand the, the world as it is and trying to live Christian lives uh, and then also starting a family and what that means. Uh, and well, there's a lot of things there, but maybe Sally wants to say something. Yeah, and Sally, you, you're, you're something of a, a revert, convert, uh, describe again. Yeah. yeah, a convert. It's hard to say exactly when um, my Catholic journey began, but definitely it was, a big part of it was going to Rome. I had no real interest in going to Rome. It was, I was raised, um, I was raised in various Protestant denominations. So Rome for me was in a Catholic sense, never something really on my radar as, as a place to pilgrimage to, as a place to go to. I mean, there was obviously, I mean, it was an ancient city and stuff, but it just wasn't a place that I really thought about going to too much. And then I had um, completed my first year of college i was in florida at florida state and, and your your parents were pastors right or my uh, grandfather was an episcopal minister okay my dad's dad and both of my parents grew up in the episcopal church and then 
I'm the fourth of six kids. And so kind of in varying degrees for us, like we were raised in our younger years in the Episcopal church and kind of going more charismatic. And then eventually when I was like in middle school, we went, we started going to an assemblies of God church. And so Michael, kind of- you've heard of the, uh, the vineyard movement. Is that something you're familiar with? It was nope. like holy laughter coming out of, um, <laughs> it was a holy laughter movement coming out of a, a church near the Toronto airport. And mm-hmm. the, then kind of the big person was called Nikki Gumbel. And then it became a big thing. What's the other word used for it? Um, the, oh, the Alpha Course. It developed the Alpha oh, Course, yeah. which was yeah, an yeah, yeah. evangelical tool. That was a, a lot of great stuff. They used a lot of Chesterton. And so your parents kind of, that was their evangelical. Yeah, like we had, yeah, we had Alpha yeah. meetings in my family growing up. And yeah. they were very into, in their early years of marriage, I think it was really like yeah, Chuck Smith, Calvary Chapel. That was okay. like them as new parents and newly married and stuff so yeah so I kind of grew up between a very um traditional Episcopal liturgy while my grandfather was still alive and and kind of going to his church when we were in in the same area and then kind of just exploring in other denominations too as we went along growing up so I definitely didn't have there weren't like conversations about the Catholic church really in my family or anything. I didn't really have Catholic friends. So I didn't know anybody who was Catholic. I just kind of, if you'd asked me growing up what I thought about Catholicism, I feel like I would have just been like, well, we're not Catholic. Like, Mm -hmm. I just know that that's like what we're not. I didn't really know too much beyond that. There wasn't like a lot of theological discussions going on about that, but um, it was more, yeah, just that's, we're not Catholics. Um, And so Yeah, I was, I had just finished my first year at Florida State University and I knew that that wasn't really like the place that I wanted to be. I just didn't, I didn't really have like this calling. I didn't have a career path I was looking to go down. So I just didn't want to go into debt and didn't want to just stay in college. So I was kind of sitting on my bed wondering what to do. And I was, I wanted to travel and I was looking in the Middle East. I had been studying Arabic at Florida State and I thought that was really cool so I was kind of thinking about going somewhere where they spoke Arabic so I could learn the language and then it just kind of out of nowhere I I had I like had this feeling that I had to go to Rome and it was very strange I was just like huh like to Rome no and part of me was like that's like western Europe that's just boring that's cliche I want to go somewhere more exotic and interesting and then it was about eight months from that time where I just it just like stuck with me and I was like kind of looking into ways to go to Rome and but the whole time it was also like I don't really want to go there like what is going on here until finally I just I had worked the summer and I saved up some money and I just bought like a one-way ticket to Rome because I thought I guess I'll just go I like the one-way ticket that shows a lot about your personality yeah, and I like brought everything in cash. Like I just was like I cash. I took everything out of my bank account that I had saved up in the summer in cash. I like put it in my purse with my passport. I'm like, I don't want any debit cards. I don't want any like way for people to send me money. I'm just gonna go. I'm gonna see what this whole Rome thing is about, and then I'll like go to the Middle East or I'll like I don't know. Wow. I'll just go from there. And I had enough, I guess, sense to pack like all my camping gear. Like I brought a lot of stuff with me. I brought like good camping gear and uh so I was kind of set up from then I didn't know anyway so I met Wilhelm as you said three days later after I landed and mm-hmm. we became like really good friends right away and so I so then but I was in Europe for 18 months that trip on that okay. one way 
Wasn't and kind there. of through William Wilhelm was your exposure to Catholicism and so forth. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, okay. we, yeah, we did go to, but to, like when I got to Rome, because I was very like serious Protestant, like I was a very, like my faith was very serious to me. So I just remember being like, well, I know there's a lot of churches in Rome. Again, I wasn't thinking like Catholic or Protestant. I was just like, I know there's a lot of churches here. So maybe I can try and go to a different church every day. Like there, that's something I could do. That's something I could see. And so, um, yeah. And so he actually did take me to my first Catholic mass and (laughs) it was, it was really an interesting experience and just, yeah. So it was definitely through him. I mean, it took many years from that point. Like it took almost, it took eight years before I was confirmed in the church with a lot of no, I want to. So, Michael, see, I've I've talked to them, and there's a lot of interesting stuff. But one of the reasons I invited them on is that they're both very comfortable in their skin, you know. And I think you not knowing their story so well, I would want you to kind of pipe in with questions because you know some of the things I don't think we talked about, like why didn't you go orthodoxy, stuff like that. What occurs to you based on what you've heard so far, Michael? You've been around young people your whole lives. And... Well. I'm thinking what's intriguing to me is this this sense of adventure and the, and the, the sense of a call. And so, but I'm going to see, how, does, how did that sense of adventure and sense of a call, because if you're working for the Catholic News Service, that's pretty mainstream Catholicism right there, right? Oh, yeah. How, how does that translate into being in tradition? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, yeah, so I was I was working for the Vatican, which is very mainstream, the Vatican News Service uh, on uh, on their news desk. And, uh, you know, during that first conversation that I had with Sally, both of us had been reading uh, some years before, uh, like Bhagavad Gita and some Eastern meditations. And um, we were kind of complaining together why we're so much happier. Oh, this was a highlight. This is so funny. Yeah, now they talk about why were they once happy. It's very interesting. They're in tradition, but they're always talking about why were they once happy when they were doing their Zen meditation. Yeah, but yeah, and then it was, you know, because Christianity (laughs) gets you so upset sometimes, and uh, especially on Sundays. And uh, the rest of the week is usually good. Sundays usually makes you upset. And um, we were trying to find something that we, that glued us together. Uh, which is hard, uh, you know, so for all the talk of ecumenism, uh, you're wondering where that is, where is that glue that holds us together? We did come from different traditions uh, and that unity that's there. Um, and also the, uh, the, the, uh, the inclusive, the, 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 the poetry that's supposed to be there, the imagination that's supposed to be there. Uh, where did that go? You don't always feel that you read about it uh, as this place, but where is this place on the map? You can't find it. Um, and so I think for our Catholic life together, um, we were going to these, uh, to the regular Novus Ordo masses, uh, as so-called Novus Ordo masses. And then, um, when we saw the Latin mass, there was a beauty there and beauty is not everything, but it's something. And we just really loved the, the beauty of it. Uh, but I think the important thing, and you learn that working for the Vatican, you can't be a Catholic and be naive. If you're naive, you're not going to last. And the same thing with the Catholic, with the Latin mass communities. That being said, it's uh, it, there's something uh, uh, um, to grapple with there. There is there is the 
the beauty there. And honestly, it was the only place that I found that actually cared even about the liturgical year, uh, which seemed to have been lost in the in the in the so-called Novus Ordo world. They they really do try to follow that. So that's some of the things that attracted it. So here's the thing for me. So I've been, you know, one of my best friends is a is a tradi, and I have written at length in my books and blogs, etc., about the tragedy of the church year being divorced from the, the cosmic year, the, co the agricultural year. And, and what you, but you still see it in, in, of all places, the Anglican church still maintains a little bit of that. You know, they still observe Lamas and they, you know, they still have more of a sense of, of the year. Whereas the Novus Ordo Catholic uh, cycle is like, what do you mean? What do you mean liturgical year A? <laughs> uh -huh. Is this algebra? What the heck? Right. Um, but the thing is, so I know a lot of people, and, and so we were involved. We were in the. I, I grew up in the in the Novus Ordo Church, but my my family, my children, and my wife and I have been spent most of the last twenty five years, except for the last three, in the Byzantine Church, Byzantine Catholic Church, because the same thing that you you were talking. The beauty attracted us. But also the smallness, because Byzantine Catholic churches, I mean, I could learn everybody's name in a Byzantine Catholic church. I go to a big Roman Catholic church, you know, it's what Dorothy Day called the long loneliness. You're like, okay, anybody, anybody want to talk about stuff? <laughs> Nobody, right? But in a, in a, in a traditional or a SSPX or whatever church, they're, they're also a little smaller and you can know people. I'm guessing that's the case with you. Which is very, you know, for, for, for us, when we were your age, ah, listen to the old guy, that was very attractive to us, right? Small is beautiful. But on the other hand, I also see in those realms, and I hear from them on a regular basis, um, there, there, for me, it, it begs a question of what does it mean to be Catholic? Because what you see a lot in, in the, the tradie movement is, and I'm not knocking this, uh, you know, going back even even to, you know, John the twenty third. You know, you know, it's they're almost sedevigantists, right? It, a lot of them, not everybody. But and so for me, and this is a, a question that's lived in me, especially for the last four years, is then what is the Catholic Church? And you know, and I, I don't know about you, but I have felt an extreme betrayal over the last four years by the hierarchy of the Catholic Church. Extreme. Uh, so, which also, you know, pushed me into, into seriously considering what does it mean, what is this thing we call the Catholic Church? And some people will say, well, it's the magisterium and it's this and it's that. What is it? So what is it for you guys? Well, I think it's also question. To, that was, that was yeah, awesome, Michael. Yeah. yeah, I think it's also to, to hold these uh, opposites together. It's called the Roman Catholic Church for a reason. Uh, the small is beautiful. It's a city that's also universal. Um, but now it's become, so it's, you don't see that anymore, but also because of the language barriers. That's one of the things that attracted us to the Latin. Uh, it's, it's the Roman language that's very tied to one city and yet it's universal. Uh, it's Roman because it's part of a city, but it's universal because you see Rome everywhere. But now it's the Italian Catholic Church, it's the American Catholic Church, the Swedish Catholic Church, and so on. 
uh, it's become very Protestant that way. You don't know if you're uh, in a church that 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 glorifies the nation state or actually God. That's the problems uh, of many of the Protestant churches and, and the Orthodox churches. Well, absolutely. And right. the Catholic church is like that. So that's one of the things that uh, is, is attractive with Latin uh, or, of course, you know, I know that the in the Eastern you have the uh, liturgical Slavic, which ties into that as well. But that's what tied uh, the Latin to our hearts is that it's that it at least it attempts to do that. Um, and uh, and I think that is, it, it's always hard to define what a cat. Well, what a Catholic is and what Catholicism is, uh, at best, if you've met a Catholic, you've only met one. It should be so, you know, it should be so um, multifaceted. You should you should be able to to uh, to see so many parts of it. It is Catholic and yet individual is Roman and and Catholic. So to hold those two paradoxes together uh, should be part of the heart of it. Well, that's well, let me set up some more. So so being Byzantine Catholic, which is not Roman Catholic but still part of the Catholic Church, but which has, uh, in, some, in some regards, very different theology. For instance, there's no theology of purgatory in the Byzantine Catholic Church. Sucks for them. Which, Just kidding. Uh, well, I, I kind of I I like a soft purgatory, spot for purgatory. You know? yeah, me too, me too. Yeah. You know? As I, as speaking of Eastern religions, I always say the best book on purgatory is the Tibetan Book of the Dead. Yeah, yeah, right. But, uh, but so so... So even all the, all these things. So growing up in the Roman Church, practicing Byzantine Catholic for twenty five years, um, it kind of for for me um, loosened or gave me uh, we can call it from one of the subtitles of my book a, a kind of poetic metaphysics about it that was not tied even that's not multicultural like uh, you know those national churches and you see Byzantine churches can be there. They're less like, less like that than the Orthodox. They can be basically, they're not even national churches, they're national so, social clubs or ethnic right, clubs, right. social clubs. Right? Um, it, but even there, you you find pe young people like, like yourselves attracted to the, to the, the liturgy of St. John Chrysostom, right? They're attracted to the beauty and the smells and the bells and the, the aesthetics of it. It, like you said, it's not everything, but it's something. And often the Novus Ordo liturgy for me is like infomercial for Jesus, right? So, uh, but even though I've seen it done beautifully, but that's not my usual experience of it. It's not usually done beautifully. It's usually just done, you know. Um, but anyway, so so this is a long way of asking. So what do you, I mean, there's a lot of uh, uncertainties here, but... And even for myself, you know, after the Pope declared that getting the vaccine was an act of love, I, I'm, I was like, all right, I'm done. I'm out. I'm out. Can't do it anymore. And they were, he was requiring uh, employees of the Vatican to get vaccinated. I couldn't countenance that, and which was heartbreaking for me and for my wife, um, which also made me wonder and question within myself what do i mean and what is this meaning of this thing i still believe it. i think i do the catholic church what does that mean because yeah, Allie, you know, yeah. the anglicans think they're part of the catholic church well yeah so, so do the so do the orthodox and some catholics i feel like think they are too i mean as a convert i it sometimes is really interesting to me what catholics how they'll describe 
some Protestant, you know, denominations like, well, they're basically Catholic, but they just, you know, they don't have the Pope and they don't believe in the Eucharist. Right. And I'm like, yeah, just minor, you know, <laughs> so a couple minor things, but no, I love the question. What is the Catholic church? Because for me, um, coming into it. So I was confirmed in at Eastern 2021. So, you know, wow. In the midst yeah. of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, exactly. So in the midst of obviously COVID stuff and also, so I just, I don't know, I, I coming from a background that I realized more and more was very prejudiced against the Catholic church and growing up as a good American and just having that healthy sense of rebellion and uh, skepticism of any authority that's trying to tell you what to do. As I was, as I started like looking into what is the Catholic church? It was like all of the red flags were raised. It was just like, oh gosh, no, like you have to submit to this and like, you have to trust in this and these people are all bad and wrong. So how can you do that? So I just remember when I was really seriously starting to look into it, cause I was just very, um, I was like a hard no, like I'm never, I would never be Catholic. I'm never going to convert. I know that it's wrong. I know that it's not the right, like the right faith. And then it sort of transitioned out of that into like, okay, well, maybe I should just like look into it a little bit. And um, that was like the driving question. I was like, yeah, okay, but what is the Catholic church? Like, what am I ultimately like signing on to? What do I ultimately have to believe? Like, where is the room for what's private devotion? And I didn't even know, like, what is dogma? What is doctrine? Like, what do I, what is it really? And um, well, I know was they gave me a box of envelopes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, and, and having like so much already like resistance to it, it's been really interesting falling in love with the Catholic faith because it's a, it's very surprising. Like, it's just such a radical like shift for me from going, being so like resistant and against it to falling in love with it. And I guess since being confirmed and since like practicing the faith it's it's so much more all-encompassing than I realized like it is so much more universal than I realized there's so much more like it's just so much more that I found it easier to be like well it's hard to define like Catholicism or what the Catholic church is and it's been easier for me to be like well that's not it or like this thing is missing like what's essential to Catholicism like maybe it's the sacraments or maybe it's this like depending Cause I have all these, you know, different relationships with people of varying Protestant denominations. And it's like, yeah, that's closer, you know, but that's not it. Like that doesn't have this. So I, I guess I find it easier to get a handle on what the Catholic church is based on like what it's not. Like, Michael, you your word like poetic metaphysics, you know, that might capture it, you know, that this, uh, as we're thinking through this, I guess I was thinking for me, you know, Catholic, because I live in a rural town and I, you know, uh, our parish is five rural churches. And because I've worked for them and I know everybody in them, like my choice of where I go for Eucharist is pretty easy. You know, it would be very different for me if if Amy and I moved into a suburban church in Rochester. You know, I just need I need our listeners and people to hear that. It's just, you know, right now, the church is where these people we kind of consider brothers and sisters, you know, receive the Eucharist, these people who we've celebrated life events with and so forth. But that that's a, you know, that's a, almost a front porch republic type of angle on things, you know, that some of the benefits of rootedness, you know, something about Wilhelm and Sally is right now, certainly rootedness isn't their defining characteristic. But um, Michael, when you mentioned like poetic metaphysics, if we bring in like Owen Barfield 
or Steiner and so forth. You know, we, we do need to be thinking, all of us, as again, what does it mean in the context of something like the evolution of consciousness? You know, that we know the poetic, something can be one in many at the same time. You know, to hold on that, to die on the Trinity Hill, you know, that, you know, we now can, we can see this ontology. My hero, I, you know, Ivan Illich would say that the Beatitudes right now are becoming almost scientifically provable in our time. You know, 2000 years into the incarnation, you can say, yes, blessed are the poor. Um, you know, we just see the disease of affluenza, to use the cheesy term and so forth. But, um, you know, I think it, it's shifting. You know, I, I was I enjoyed hearing all of you. Um, but, you know, if we can't give up that that paradigm of a poetic metaphysics, you know, it has to be. And, and that is Eucharist, right? Something is one and many at the same time because the world falls apart without that. And I think it's the Christian, uh, this this Catholic thing. That's the genius. It's somewhere in there. You know, mm-hmm. well, actually, this morning I was I was teaching a course on her class on Shakespeare <clears throat> and I was telling the students, you know, we had, I was trying to give them a sense of the cultural context of Shakespeare compared to our cultural context, right? Where everybody believed in angels and fairies and you know, they believed the cosmos was a, was a real thing and no one would question that. Um, they believed in a kind of hierarchical structure of the universe. It was not, you know, nobody would ever question that. Um, but also that um, it was especially if you go even before Shakespeare into the medieval period, if you think, or the Celtic church, I mean, you think about the relationship, those, those churches on the, you know, the frontier, the outskirts of the empire, they had such a loose relationship to the power structure that they were kind of doing their own thing and they still felt like they were part of the church, right? But they were so far away from everything, it, it was able to, to sprout organically, you know, and, and really according to local conditions, right? And, uh, and that's something, I mean, to me, that's, that's at the essence of, of a poetic metaphysics is this ability to live in the, the moment in which you find yourself. And, and, and here's the thing. So what happened with Shakespeare's day is that's when pure nature came to became uh, a, a popular philosophy amongst Catholics it was, it was a Catholic born uh, idea that there would could there be any place in cr- the created order that was a void of God's grace or touch right or presence and the pure nature theologians said yes it could be we don't know if there is but there could be that kind of speculation which is actually an outgrowth of debates that were in earlier in the middle ages about the real presence of the eucharist which is where you know um the dogmas about uh transubstantiation came in because it was kind of a rational application to to a a theological problem and they got more and more rational whereas in the orthodox church they they never call they never talk about I no notions of transubstantiation. They just say it's the body of blood. Well, Gokov kind of hazards the word transmutation, but he might say, you know, transmutation, and that might get at it some way. You know, and that's that's better language. But but, but I think but but I think what, what you lose with that kind of rationality imposing onto religious experience is 
it it begs the question of becoming more and more rules oriented because which is are also um rational applications of things where and, and we see this through the history of the church right you have, you have these two polarities you have the theologians right so we have all the rule books we know how we're supposed to do stuff we we have we have just we have decided everything but on the other side you have the mystics so this week my, my family and i when we were praying i we read a little bit of julian of norwich the bit on the hazelnut right um so the mystics and the poets come up with these insights that very often get them into wait that's heretical you're not supposed to think that right but and then we notice over time very often they end up being right but the theologians were freaked out because and, and I, I can't you know i'm an academic so i can't help but re, re, compare it to the academic structure which is uh Guess what? Original thought is not rewarded in academia. <laughs> Just, I'm here to tell you. Yeah. Um, so because that's part of the club, right? You got a club. We're, we're the academic club. Just like you know, through the Middle Ages, you had you know the University of Paris or whatever it happened to be, or Oxford. You know, we got the club, we got the rules, and here's this guy coming over here telling me it's different. Let's burn him, right? Or whatever they did. And actually, I, I have. I think I gave it to one of my daughter's friends. Uh, I have a, or I had a book of uh, Marguerite Poretta's uh, The Mirror of Simple Souls. And it was published in like 1911 or something. And I have another, I have a couple versions. I have the Middle, Middle English version and I have a more modern translation from Paulus Press. But what happened, this when it came out in 1900 or whatever it was, they didn't know who wrote it. So it was published by the Catholic Church, by I can't remember what publishing house, and it had an imprimatur on it. And then later they realized it was by Marguerite Poretta, and they're like, hold it! <laughs> Wait, she's a heretic! We aren't supposed to do that, sorry, mistake. Um, so this is kind of an interesting phenomenon. But, but, and I see, well, here's the thing, is I see in these traditional movements, like you guys being in tradition or the ortho bros, right, where there's, there's a a desire to kind of bridge both in a way. I mean, I got the rules, the rules oriented life, but also there is a, whether we're going to call it aesthetic experience or mystical experience, and I wouldn't call it mystical experience. I would call it devotional experience. Maybe is a better way to put it, which you don't often get. I mean, I certainly got it as a kid in the North Soto Church, but but it's it's not conducive to that. Whereas these beautiful, I mean, even not just beautiful liturgy, but a beautiful church is kind of conducive to a, to fostering a, a devotional disposition. And I'm sure it's, you guys had that experience in Rome with all those gorgeous churches, right? Mm -hmm. Kind of kind of begs the question to enter oh, into metaphysics, right? Oh, definitely, uh, definitely. And it was but it was so interesting to walk around Rome with Sally because she'd never been there before and she was always amazed around every corner because sometimes you can uh, you can get a bit blasé about it uh, but it is an amazing city um, but there of course I, I and I came there during the last years of John Paul II and he had a mystical side to him that's not always um, lifted up too much and also to your point there 
I studied with at the Dominican University there in Rome called the Angelicum. Yeah. And I asked, so this must be where you learn Thomism. And my professor said, what kind of Thomism? Because I think they could count, I think it was 30 different Thomisms in the 20th century. <laughs> and of course, uh, those that uh, say they found tradition. Uh, so the, the, in America, that seems to be what, what they say, we found tradition in the Latin mass communities, but that's only one type of Thomism. Right. Uh, which is very odd. There's there's 30 different types of Thomisms. And if you read Thomas, because many people don't even read him, uh, he's very he's not he's not the Thomas that you might expect to meet. Uh, he's he I had a professor that insisted that he was a spiritual master and a poet. And read him. Um, he's a lot. He's a lot. He has a lot more facets to him. Uh, that that diamond is a lot more beautiful than you think of it. It's not just some some uh, some rough Thomistic piece of carbon. It's it's a very very well polished uh, diamond, and there's so many sides to him. And uh, there was a wonderful Irish uh, professor there, and he was a poet. And he's still there, I believe, at the at the Angelicum. And, and he would always stress that 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 Thomas also was a poet and a singer. Um, but yes, what type of Thomism? And uh, I don't know why recently Ivan Illich is everywhere, but Sally and I had discovered him in the last two years or so on. And he's very good at pointing out that a lot of the problems were can be tied back to the Catholic Middle Ages, where it seems like the Catholic Church felt they could almost touch uh, the perfect society on earth. And then when, as soon as they felt they could almost touch it, it started to fall apart. And um, talking about Rome again, I used to sit with my friends in front of the Pantheon. And that had an effect on, on my understanding of nature and grace, which, of course, the parody is is that it's a two-tiered building where you have nature and then grace just on top. Uh, but it's far more like the Pantheon where the light shines from the top into the bottom through the whole yeah. building. Sally. Yeah, I'm just thinking about, um, it's interesting the whole, just like again, being sort of a new convert and I, I, I was confirmed in a very, I think, you know, typical Novus Ordo mass. I didn't have a, a confirmation name. I remember asking my RCIA instructor, like, so like, when do we get our confirmation names? And they're like, oh, you don't need to do that. And I was like, what? Okay. So, that. <laughs> I was like, and then I met him like in this deeply humiliated state of realizing like how like arrogant and proud I had been just like all the months leading through these courses that I'm like, I can't be more Catholic than my RCIA instructor. So I guess I'll just go with that. So it's just really, and like the COVID stuff. <laughs> My really RCIA like, instructor. It conjures <laughs> up so many images. Go ahead. <laughs> exactly. Um, but, and there were just so many things going on at that time, like with, with COVID and with like all the change, like the churches were shutting down and everything. And so it's just really, like for me, the Latin mass was, I think really instrumental in my conversion. I didn't have such a context for the reforms, Vatican II, any of this stuff at that moment. But it was like, I guess for me, like the lat the fact that people were saying, like, well, Latin is only spoken in the church, you know? So therefore it's not, it's not so interesting or it's not so relevant to people. That like sent off sort of this like light bulb in my head. I'm like, wow, okay, so there's something in this context where like only this. If this remains only here like is there anything else that remains only here like the deposit of faith or the true church okay. so i know that like not all catholic churches are in latin but it just 
for me at that time, it was like, okay, so this is unique here. And so I really enjoyed going to, and also like, because I had the background with some of the Episcopal liturgy, it was a little bit in the Novus Order, it's even closer to like that Episcopal. And sometimes they're singing like the same Anglican type hymns. So it just, I think I needed a little bit more separation from the like liturgical background that I was familiar with to kind of really like, okay, shake things up for me. But um, then there's just like in the, in the years following that, it's just been so many debates back and forth. And I do feel like we're always in these extremes. Like we're in like the Catholic worker thing here. And then we're like, in the you know sspx chapel over here and there's just all these like i guess debates going on but for me i just i'm still sort of reeling from the fact that something someone was drawing me into the catholic faith like in spite of all of these things and so i i do find it important you know and but it's also like there's something stronger than any of this stuff that like people are still going to be, they are still going to convert in like the most heinous, you know, liturgy like me or my sister who also has been confirmed since then. It's like in spite of all of these things and sometimes maybe they're in aid in some way. And I just, it's too, it's too difficult for me to say this is all bad or this isn't doing any good here because I came into it through through some of those things that people would say like the RCIA program's terrible. Like it actually was kind of terrible, <laughs> but I like, it's what I like went through and what That's I believe in guess. purgatory, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess so. Maybe I'll spend a lot of time there, but yeah. So I, yeah, I guess. I think, a- you know, Michael, if you uh, were for maybe Wilhelm and Sally, the, the only I've been to different Marian shrines, but I've my strongest connection is to La Salette, 1846 or 1848, I think 1846. Um, but, you know, at La Salette, Our Lady said, you know, Rome will lose the faith and become the seat of the Antichrist. You know, these things, they're right in there. St. Paul, again, when we were talking about Ivan Illich, you know, we're looking for something. And I think, you know, what we're hearing and not trying to summarize anything. And I want you guys to talk a little bit more about that, you know, that we used to have fun when we were you know, back when we were Buddhist, why are we so angry all the time? But the, um, the, the what Michael's getting at with the poetic metaphysics and the literalization of everything, that that's it, you know, beyond left and right, it's this literalization of everything. And, and the reverse- left and right both do it, right? Right, right, they do, they do. And they, you know, we need that so importantly. And we see the same type of like false divisions in politics. But the because um, what we're seeing is the fewer and fewer people left in church and certainly in the priesthood are very literal minded. Right. Whether they're chronically scrupulous or, um, you know, are drawn to that. You know, that's my experience in campus ministry for sure. I've said on this podcast, take eight out of 10 young men who are probably interested in the RCIA and you're going to see eight out of 10 are probably suffer with severe OCD, you know, because we're putting out that image in a, in a chaotic world. This disease of religion, I call, you know, the one that Michael's at war with through a poetic metaphysics. You know, if you take an anxious young person who skews a little bit more kind of uh, left brain and you say there's this institution that tells you to say these Marian prayers on Monday, these on Wednesday, these on Friday, eat meat 1159 on this day, but not 12 o'clock. There's a brain that if it's if it's saddled with OCD, it's definitely like flies to shit. Right. And so our numbers are hemorrhaging, but but a greater percentage are of this kind of uh, left brain Catholic and of the left and the right, of the left and the right. And um, 
and then that's that's kind of uh you know that's changing the liturgy to be more and more left and right novus ordo or latin mass more and more kind of literal you know and i you know but once we i think we need to get people to see that so clearly um that i don't know i mean that that's that's where the rubber meets the road for me uh, you know well, that, i think like you know as as i mentioned last time i think this guy right here robert herrick my pastor he's your man yeah um and the reason being is because he he was an anglican priest he understood that it's supposed to be messy that the structure is it doesn't have a structure in a way and that's what i would love i mean i'm not gonna i don't i'm sorry sorry to sound pessimistic but that's what's missing yeah or right? how about this way like you if you just, say something you, know, you can't ahead, just chill right you can't just you know there's it's politics ruins everything right yeah. um but also, I mean, you, but the, the other part, and this, this is the thing, is if, you, if you're getting news feeds, I'm sorry, hate to hate to rip on your own old job, William Wilhelm, but if you're getting news feeds from Rome all, every week or every day, you know, we know what the Pope's thinking. We know what he had for breakfast or whatever, right? So we're, we know what he had in his audience today. But if you go back to the Celtic Church and, and even before the Middle Ages, they had no idea what was going on and they didn't care because they were they were living the faith and so this kind of this weird thing the centralization of faith by 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 newsfeed <laughs> you know is destructive it's the promise of the internet right it's, it's going to lead right? to wild it's diversity totally but it's total uniformity now you know yeah it's it's destructive and it's it's a, in a way it's the catholic surveillance state <laughs> you know so how do you, and this is my question i don't have the answer um though though i think the indication is you know like well like, like you know like the the uh nouvelle theologie of theologians return to the sources right and the sources aren't for them they were theologians the, th the sources were the fathers for them but i'm part of the peasantry what are the sources for us right what are the sources for the faithful and it's not in it and it wasn't uh it was never even the catechism it was the practice right and and i and i think and if you look if you know the, the history of those kinds of, of practices they were more alive than what we are now and this is why i think you know i really love in the byzantine church and in, in the in the roman church when you have it i mean they didn't do it for decades but when i was a kid i loved the feast of saint blaise when you had bless your throat right that was so cool right um that's still in every catholic church that i know yeah, but, it, but it, i but it's not big, you're right. It's right. not a big deal, right? And it's, it's a daily mass thing that the 13 people at daily mass and two yeah. hours come to. Yeah. Uh, but or or Lamas, right? Which is a beautiful feast, which That's has gone. fallen into to a to a, a, a invisibility. Though I mean the loaf mass. I mean, come on. <laughs> the harvest feast of the loaf mass, the first loaf baked of, of the year. I mean, you can't get any more Eucharistic than that. But it it's atrophied. Um, so but now I don't know. I, I hate you know, I, I hate to suggest that going backwards is the way to go forward, right? And I think this is one of the things I learned from Rudolf Steiner. It's not, but we have to somehow like 
have, you know, one eye to the tradition. And, you know, the thing is, you know, different people have different interpretations of what the tradition is. But the other eye to the future, and I don't mean innovation necessarily. I mean uh, inspiration, right? That's and 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 that's what I, I mean. I don't know how to how to resolve that because there is a comfort that people find in that some people find in, in I would say, retreating into tradition. And I see this in I, I saw this years ago in uh, Rod Dreher, right? Yeah, where it's kind of a all right, kids. Get the guns and get in the basement. We're having Latin mass. <laughs> you know what I mean? It gets kind of bunker, right? There's a bunker mentality. We're, we're going to do homeschool and we're, you're suspicious and you're just creating a neurotic society, right? How do we create something that's alive and joyful? And this is the time to mention that uh, Sally and Wilhelm have a, a wonderful boy. I'm not going to name him now in privacy. You guys can. But it was a pleasure to meet him. And and they're expecting number two. But, you know, Absolutely. with uh, so, I mean, they, they have a vestment, a, a huge investment in the future. What do you think, Sally, you were about to say something? Well, I yeah, I also the whole idea of like some people are trying to go back in time or some people are trying to move forward. It's like you can't go back in time. So I, I guess I don't. I view it like everybody's doing, everybody's actually in the current moment doing what they think is best in the current moment. So even people that are looking to the past or trying to retreat, it's like, you can't really, like that can't be done. So everything is happening in real time. And so I think for me, like thinking about it that way makes it everything, the the every method that everybody's trying a little bit more interesting because there is no going back. Um, so even people that are trying to bring things from the past into the present or into the future, that's very new, you know? And so I guess it, it makes me feel a little bit more open to what anybody has to say about, about any of this stuff. But also I, it's, I think the problem is being, I think the best antidote is to not be afraid. Like, I know that that sounds kind of cliche, but like, you're saying, no, it doesn't exactly it's great. It's great. It's a yeah. joy, but it's like, I've seen this because being in between all these, all these different things too, like I have a pretty, I'd say American conservative sort of family, political uh, family background. And it's like, it's like all about fear. It's all about like preparing for the worst. And, and it's like almost, it's almost like your Christian duty. It's like a matter of prudence to like prepare for the, for the end of time or to. And so I think a lot of people are just doing the best they can. And these are obviously the biggest things. It's your faith and it's your family. It's like, you really don't want to mess up here. Like, are you really going to be failing your family if you don't do these things? Or are you going to, what side on judgment day are you going to be on if you take this position? And so, no, it's her sheep. <laughs> yeah, I just think exactly. And so I think in an understandable way, like people are afraid, but I've just found more and more. It's just like, I don't know, just like you have to like have hope and not be afraid. And then it's like, you can think more poetically, more creatively. And um, I just, everything is pushing you into fear, whether it's fear of, yeah, yeah. Any of this Especially stuff. at our moment in history, right? I mean, it's. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. And, and I think that that's all, it's all wrapped up in, in, like you're saying, like this, like constant, like media influence and also I think part of just just touching back a little bit to like this like rational sort of legalistic way of thinking about things or what you were saying um 
Michael Sauter about, you know, these left brain people that like having this checklist of things to do or being able to like have all your, yeah, your, your boxes checked and be able to be right about everything. It's like, we also live, everything's recorded. Like, even if you know that you're not being recorded, it's like somebody else is being recorded and like, you can't ever erase things and things are always there. And so people I think are very muzzled and afraid to speak unless they're sure that they've like thought it completely through and anything that anyone could say, they could back it up and they fact-checked it here, here, and here. So I think that that's part of the reason, like, yeah, it's technology and it's part of the reason why people are so relieved to have a checklist. Like, I don't, I don't know if it's more than that. I think it's just, that's a good point. Yeah. You can't really say anything. And if you say, Hmm, I don't know. They're like, yeah, gotcha. It's like, that's so the environment that we're in. It's like, unless you can like a hundred percent back it up. So you don't really have the space to say, well, I think this today, it might change tomorrow. Then you don't really have like a right to speak your opinion like these days and, or no one's gonna Where's your data? Yeah, exactly. Where's your data? And I, I personally, like, that's something that I've been very like liberated from in becoming a Catholic because I didn't realize growing up sort of evangelical Protestant, it's like, you have this like assurance of faith, you have this like freedom in Christ, but it's really like, okay, how many people are you going to be able to like convince to convert? Like how watertight are your arguments? And really like, if you were to have some sort of theological debate, that's right you win when the other person doesn't have anything else to say. You don't, don't win when it's soldier. true. Yeah, yeah. And so, and so I, I realized more and more as I was coming into the Catholic faith, which is like, you know, the prism and the light hits it and it goes in a million different ways. Here comes everything. Yeah, yeah exactly. I just realized like, I think that, I, I don't think it's like directly, like you can directly say this, but in a way it's like a very um, like Protestant, american legalistic mentality so it is really interesting to hear like catholics talk about the legalism in the catholic church or this like rationalism because from what i'm coming from it's like such a liberation from that but i also do see like you know the situation that we're in today and there's like so much more to learn about the history of the church and everything but i don't know it's just it's like a breath of fresh air in the opposite direction for me so it's like vanishing so fast though, Sally. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah but it's sure. like, it's a full scale war on it. You know, Wilhelm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I want, yeah. No, I mean, people, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. I, I mean, pe- Americans are, are, uh, are always willing to talk about religion, unlike Europeans. And you're always talking about Christianity and people really want that checklist. And uh, no matter what their, their, their various Christian tradition is. And, when you've lived the Christian life for a while, you realize it's okay. You're always a heretic in somebody's eyes. Always. Exactly. <laughs> you don't have to have all the steps. You just need the next step. And uh, people really want all those checklists. And it's getting harder and harder because we're getting more and more mechanized in everything we do. Uh, machines can take more and more of our jobs. And I think the scary thing, if you're a creative literary person, we thought that they couldn't touch the, the literature. They couldn't touch it, but now you have, uh, I think it's called Chat yeah. GPT, yep. and, and and you can, you can, a computer can write a book for you. Um, in a minute. So wh- wh- yeah. Where do you go? Where do you go? Where is this poetic metaphysics? And um, it always seemed to me that in poetry, there is that anarchistic oh. aspect. There's no rules. And I don't know if, if, if that can be mechanized, uh, but it seems to me that that is the only place 
to go. And it seems that is fundamentally the most Christian position as well to go there. Um, And uh, so I think that's a very scary thing because everything can be a checklist, even our literature, even our books. And all the Christians are like that too. They want that checklist. And they don't want, they want to have all their bases covered. But as I say, look, you're going to be, you're going to be a heretic in somebody's eyes and that's okay. Don't worry yeah. about it. Don't worry about it. But that's well uh, said. Yeah. yeah. That's why I've been pushing poetry in my, my YouTube channel lately for precisely because pe- people don't know how dead things are. And by the way, speaking of chat, GP, PT and poetry, here's a kind of a funny anecdote. A few days ago, this guy I know on, uh, I think I know him on Facebook and on Twitter. He's from Scotland. And I was po- posted something about ChatGPT. And so he went to ChatGPT and asked it to write a poem about me. <laughs> oh, wow. It's so bad. But but part of it, they captured part of the first stanza. I mean, it, it, it would sound like there were, someone was describing me, for sure. But it's what's such horrible poetry. Um, I'm sure they're going to try to improve that. But but on that topic, do you guys know this book? It is great. The Catholic I've heard of her. We were reading it at the same time, Michael, when we first met. I, if, yeah. I don't know if you recall, but several times, Michael and I, we barely knew each other. There'd be some correspondence. But we'd be finding that we were reading that, like The Endless Trace. We were reading at the same time. Um, yeah. And The Catholic Thing, we just realized books we had never discussed, we were reading at the same time. And it's great. I mean, I'm just going to read you this beautiful couple sentences. Rosemary Hutt. Rosemary Hutt. The lost Celtic Catholicism was uniquely important in its embracing quality, its feeling for the presence of the divine and natural beauty and on the unexpected, its single-minded devotion to the quest for God and its sheer wealth of symbol and fantasy, which captured it. And And she, in this book, her two main metaphors are uh, the lady of the church, and the lady Sophia, who Sophia kind of gets gets the <laughs> the church structure to loosen up once in a while, you know, you got to chill. You know what I'm saying? It's got to chill out a little bit. But here's this other sense where she's kind of ripped, you know, developing from this Celtic church idea. She says, "But Catholicism died out of Wales for the Methodist chapel culture, splendid as it was in many ways, distrusted its predecessor." and all works of the fairies and the old heroes. Mm. And I I don't know if you guys see this in your trad communities, but I have noticed in quite a few trad communities that I'm familiar with, that they've also resurrected the belief in fairies. Good. You know, because you see, um, well, you see it in, what's his name? David Russell Mosley, if you know him. Right, he's, yeah, yeah. He's, he's all, but you also see it in David Bentley Hart, and you see it in John John Milbank. I'm going to ask the next fairy I see and see if he's in tradition. What about with the bees? Yeah, I'm going to say, "Oh, fairy, you're kind of bothering me. I'm just taking care of the bees." Are you in tradition? Um, but you know, one thing I think where we have, um, I don't know, it just came to me when we were talking about with an eye on the future. You know, Sally, when you were talking about that, um, but it was, uh, and I'm thinking of our friend Novalis. And um, my understanding of the Catholic tradition is that the canon is not totally informally closed, right? And th- that's such a powerful image because you take you take the scrupulous types, and I'd have to get my wording on that right. But Novalis was talking towards the end of his life, you know, reminding people the canon's not closed, you know. And what if we put hymns to the night in the canon or something? You mean but, no, um, no, no, no. Okay, yeah, yeah. 
but that's that's a real threat to people. Now I do. Um, I'm not trying to pick a fight with people. I could be. I could have some of this wrong, but uh, I was told by uh, my priest growing up, who then became Bishop of Syracuse, I believe, that we've never formally said, "Boom," you know, that with that council, you could say, "Wow, we've received." It has to be judge fitting and pointing to Christ. But somebody could say, "Wow, this seems to get it." Well, um, you know what? I, speaking that of that openness up. makes me feel like I can breathe. You know, speaking of Novalis, Mike. Yeah, my publisher just I wrote about him recently in my Substack, and my publisher read it and he said, "Okay, I'm going to go ahead because he told me like a year or two ago that he wanted to republish uh, Novalis's uh, essay, Christianity uh, or Europe." Yeah, it's great. It goes by both titles, and he wants me to write a long essay because it's a short. It's a short book. Oh, so I, hope I hope they do. I hope they do. But the, the, but in that. In that he uses the, the medieval Catholic uh, culture as a model, to, uh, uh, you know, as, as an inspiration. Let's put it as inspiration from for moving forward. And unfortunately, um, the P European Union kind of did a bastardized version of this by for you know forming the Re European U Union, where it's not Christendom, it's secularism. You know, pretending to be it's not a it's not a Christian culture. It's Our friend secular. John Milbank loves the EU. I'm always, I always I know why. I don't know <laughs> why. What do you think, Wilhelm? Uh, yeah, Wilhelm is well, the son of uh, Swedish diplomats. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Four generations of uh, of diplomats. We have a saying in our family: "The state giveth and the state taketh away." Yeah. Um, right. But you walk around Brussels, and if you've been there they have little plaques in all the EU buildings where they take their inspiration for the European project and all of them tie back to Charlemagne. And then there's, if only, and then, uh, and then uh, other people say that the, uh, the EU flag is actually uh, the crown uh, around Mary's head. So yeah. actually when, when Sweden was about to join the EU in the beginning of the nineties and the same thing was in Norway, it was actually an argument that the EU was a Catholic conspiracy wow. to recreate the, the Catholic Empire of Charlemagne. That was actually an argument. Isn't the national anthem like not. Ode to Joy? That's a good sign too, right? Isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, yes. Yeah. Schiller? Yeah. Well. Yeah. If only. I mean, if that's a conspiracy, it's the worst conspiracy ever. Uh, <laughs> that wasn't really happening. <laughs> really happen. But but yeah. that is, yeah. So I haven't read that text of Navalis, uh, but, but Christendom or Europe, um, just the title is intriguing uh, because, of course, uh, the popes very much wanted to put those two together, uh, but they've been ripped apart and said, no, it's it's not the same thing at all. We'll have to do a, an episode on uh, Walter Kaprowser um, sometime, right, Michael? OK. Have you have you read deeply into him? The, the you know, the feral child. He's very tied into like good stories about him. And there's an anthroposophist, Terry Boardman, who's brilliant, who writes on him. But it. It's as if no Novalis's vision was going to be there. Then they, it's an abduction and everything. There's a German version of the story of Casper Hauser. Yeah, the anthropops get weird about that, man. Yeah, but it's really fascinating, if you ask me. I want to do an episode on it. Uh, but the, um, you know, Werner Herzog did a movie on it, which means it's pretty interesting. Oh, yeah, he um, did. I didn't know seen it. Yeah, and then there's a German one, which tells the story, because you have uh, Friedrich Dahlmer, who is, um, oh, it has to do with British politics. It's genius. And that just came up because... The, the story of kind of what happened to Europe runs through this feral child. Um, it's some of the best alternative history I've ever read. But so, Wilhelm, we're going to be winding up here a little bit. Wilhelm and Sally, tell us your hopes for the future. So you have a, you have a young son, another child on the way. 
Um, you're they're in transit right now. Again, I began by talking about two sparrows in a hurricane trying to find their way. Um, young, very intelligent Catholics can't thank you so much or enough for being here. Like uh, uh, as Paul says, uh, what reason you know do you give for your hope? Well, uh, just so just here in Florida, just yesterday, we're actually we're down in, in St. Augustine to um, visit Our Lady of La Leche down there, Our Lady of the Milk, which is a Catholic Marian shrine down there, the oldest one like in America. It. And it's wonderful. It's such an astonishing image of of of, of uh, Jesus at the breast of Mary. And one thing that was so important for Sally's conversion and our life forward as Catholics and have you read Bonaventure's is... nativity story where Mary squirts breast milk all over the baby Jesus to wash him oh. and everything? Yes, and I think that is very hopeful for us and also being Catholics in America, uh, thinking of Our Lady of Guadalupe, the patron saint of all the Americas, mm. and Our Lady of Leche. And of course, Sunday is the Lord's Day, but every Saturday is Our Lady's Day. And to think of uh, going forward, the importance of Saturdays uh, as, an, as a, um, a link to Our Lady, and you have the Marian wow. aspect there and the feminine aspect mm -hmm. and the role of the rosary and the mysteries of it. And going forward with that is something that really binds us together and going forward. And, uh, and that is what gives us hope. There's so much there, uh, of course, but, but that Marian aspect of Catholicism in America, especially, and in our own lives, is what has become so important and and we're and the in the seventh of... year we're in the second year of a novena leading up to the 500th anniversary of uh our lady of guadalupe you know the world needs to know yeah. that you know we've got yeah. seven more years um yeah. uh, wilhelm that was that was quite brilliant uh that was worth the price of admission sally um yeah so... well thank, thank you for having having us on and uh also just yeah chatting with you is always very interesting um yeah, I, I would just say everything that Wilhelm just said, a big source of hope for me too is is like this unexpected conversion still is like just still pushing me forward. It's like, wow, it doesn't, I don't, I'm just not afraid. It's just, I know that like what any of us need, like what we need to see, what we need to know, what we need to learn, like is there and will be there. And to just trust that God is trying harder than any of we than any of us individuals to make sure that we get the right <laughs> information or the right, you know, devotional spirit. So I just really trust that. And um definitely the Blessed Virgin Mary and all of all of the ways that she's shown herself to us. And motherhood has really connected me to that, obviously. We have but... you back on again. We have Sally on motherhood and the image of birth is its whole thing, oh, Michael. It's there's a, so it's much a, there. Because that world, is very yeah. hopeful. Yeah, that's very hopeful. Yeah, for birth. But um, yeah. yeah, I mean, that was, wow, what a great ending. Those were very, and Wilhelm, this notion, um, I was thinking of canonicity earlier, which I haven't thought of in about three years. But the notion, you know, that I always think is we need to build the new in the shell of the old. But the mm -hmm. idea of like people gathering on a Saturday and that being like an upwelling spring that can kind of infiltrate and kind of make all things new from the inside is one of the more hopeful things I've kind of heard. You know, if people Isn't are really that struggling such with an their... image of, of Jesus in the womb. It is. It is. Sally hitting it out of the park on birth. Yeah. <laughs> um, can't thank you guys enough. We'll do this again. Um I learned so much and uh, we want to thank everybody. Michael Martin, talk about Substack and Patreon. But first I have to say, when's the baby due? Um, about a month, early October. Oh, good. Yes. Looking forward to that. Uh, yes. Yeah. So yeah, Patreon right there. That's our regeneration coffee cup. We're, 
we're pro-capitalism once in a while, people. <laughs> so go check out our Patreon. I'll link it. I'll link it to my, the YouTube version. Yeah. Um, I, I'm on a tear about Christian romanticism recently uh, on my on my Substack on the Druid Stairs back. So, so and so not only there but here on on uh, in the comments here, both on on the podcast version on the YouTube version. Please comment mention you know talk about things you'd like to see us us bring up on the show and you know more the more comments i don't know about you mike i think the more comments the better for me oh I, yeah i get yeah. i get i get jazzed by the comments and by, <laughs> by the interaction with yeah okay isn't it funny like the cheesiest thing you could say like a year plus into this podcast is uh you know you'd hear it on the news it, it rises from the heart. And I know Michael feels this the best way. Again, meeting Sally and Wilhelm. Like, oh my God, we have the world's best listeners, right? Just over <laughs> on to think that like you guys could come visit. We could have a day like we had and everything. So um, yeah, the comments are always great. And everybody, thanks for listening to the Regeneration Podcast. We will see you here. <laughs>